In today's world of smartphones and uh, iPhones and tablets and internet access, there are many things that we can know, many things we can research. And if someone asks the question, how long is the Verrazano Bridge in New York, which was built in the 1960s and is the longest or was the longest suspension bridge in the world at the time, Somebody who's uh, nimble with their iPhone or something like that. I don't know if you're like me, but I really have trouble with touch pads and uh, the touch screens. You know, it just never goes where I want it to go. And as my hand hovers over the touch pad of a, of a computer, then it does all kinds of weird things too. But somebody who really knows how to do this stuff could, with their 4G connection and an iPhone, they could ask Siri, how long is the Verrazano Bridge? And they'll get an almost instantaneous response. Its central span is 4,260 feet. Uh, that's four-fifths of a mile of a clear span. So we can get a lot of information. But what if we had sitting here this morning somebody who is 85 years old, a retired construction worker, who spent several years of his life actually building the Verrazano Bridge, while he was in his 30s. We would get the right information about the span and other things, but we'd also get it with great passion and with a greater description because of the experience and the personal knowledge of that person. And if we had somebody sitting here who's ever ran the New York Marathon, they would tell you about the start of the marathon that goes across the Verrazano Bridge and what it feels like, and what it's like to experience, to hear the starting gun go off, and then all of a sudden there's these runners, and there's footsteps all around you, and you're wishing the guy in front of you would hurry up a little bit, and they could give those kinds of experience, or maybe you are the guy in front, and somebody's pushing you from behind. Or if you talk to one of the 170,000 daily commuters that go across that bridge every day, you would talk to somebody who really knows the bridge. And that's what it means to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. It involves much more than just repeating Bible facts or, or knowing facts about Christ. It's much more than knowing that Jesus died on the cross to forgive sins. It's much more than knowing that Jesus healed the sick and cleansed the lepers. It's much more than knowing that he had his feet washed with the tears of a broken woman. Knowing Christ is an intimate, personal relationship with him. It's an experience with him in our lives. The Christian life is much more than what you know. It's who you know and how well you know him. Now, if I had to take the analogy a little bit further, because we're getting on what Paul yearns for in Philippians chapter 3, is that he wants the Philippians to experience is not just what we hear about Jesus and hear about what Jesus has done. It's not just like hearing the construction worker who's had an experience and shares the passion of his heart from laboring on the bridge. It's not just to hear the passion of the marathon runner when he tells us or she tells us what it's like. The Apostle Paul is expressing his passion, his experience of the living Jesus Christ because he wants us to know the same thing he does in experience, what it means to experience Christ as we labor with Christ, as we run the race ourselves. 
You see, the Christian life is not a spectator sport. It's not the Super Bowl, where there's 80,000 people in the stands who are in desperate need of exercise. And there's 22 guys down on the field who are in desperate need of a rest. We are the actual runners in the race of the Christian life, experiencing for ourselves what it means. And that's what Paul is getting at in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, where he says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So please turn to the third chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 10 and 11. By this time, the Apostle Paul is in prison, as you know, writing this letter to the believers in Philippi. He has walked with Christ for years. He has labored with Christ. He has known him for over 30 years, and yet he expresses the yearning of his heart to know him even more. Verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. To know Christ, as we're going to see it here, was the overarching and the unfolding ambition of Paul's life. Paul had a longing for an ever-deepening, an ever-widening personal knowledge of the Son of God. And that passion to know him is what energized the Apostle Paul. It's what gave him that dogged devotion. It gave him that dogged devotion and that epic quest to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ that others might come to know him. This longing, as we're going to see, that Paul had to know him was a love for the Savior, a love. Because love makes us want to know another person more and more, doesn't it? We, we want to know our mate more and more. In fact, the Greek word that's translated know here, that I might know him, corresponds to the Hebrew word in the Old Testament that refers to the intimate love-bond relationship between a husband and his wife. In the King James Version, it says in Genesis 4.1, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. The apostle's love-born desire was to know Christ in such a way to have such an intimate and love-filled knowledge of him that Paul's life was so fully identified with the Savior that Paul would radiate Christ, that he'd radiate the love of Christ. Paul wanted his life to show Christ to others. And Paul's longing has set the example for, for the church for more than 2,000 years now. You know, if we have anything of that same desire we should make this our prayer. I want to know you, Lord. I want to really know you. I've read this quote from A.W. Tozer before, and it's one of my favorite from Tozer, where Tozer puts in words that what really express what the apostle is getting at. He says, when the apostle cries that I may know him, he uses the word know, not in its intellectual, but in its experiential sense. He says we must look for the meaning not to the mind, but to the heart. Theological knowledge is knowledge about God. While this is indispensable, it is insufficient. 
It bears the same relation to a man's spiritual need as a well, a water well, does to the need of his physical body. It's not the rock-lying pit for which the dusty traveler longs, but the sweet, cool water that flows up from it. It's not intellectual knowledge about God that quenches a man's ancient heart thirst, but the very person and presence of God himself. These come to us through Christian doctrine, but they are more than doctrine. Christian truth is designed to lead us to God, not to serve as a substitute for God. This is the difference between in our analogy of studying and hearing about the Verrazano Bridge and actually experiencing the bridge ourselves. This is a difference between hearing the passion of those who have experienced the bridge and actually experiencing it in a way that we gain the same passage. Paul, as it were, wants us to experience the bridge of actually running in the race. He wants us to experience the cool water that flows up from the well. And that's why he is sharing his passion here, not just to show that he has passion, but that we might have experiences of Jesus Christ that give us the same passion. That like Paul, we'll have a longing for an ever-deepening and ever-widening personal knowledge and experience of Jesus Christ. And that our passion to know him would energize whatever dogged devotion he gives us to him and whatever quest he calls us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not a morning person. Anybody can tell you that. And anybody church calls me in the morning, 9, 10 o'clock, Pastor, I hope I haven't called too early. <laughs> they know me, <laughs> Get a call from Atlanta, Georgia last Sunday morning at quarter to eight. Uh, Jerry Meek is just getting ready to get on the plane to go to Honduras. And she says, Pastor, I'm so sorry for calling you so early. <laughs> and I go, I'm glad you did. It was so exciting to hear her passion for what God is going to do in her experience of Christ. And so in Philippians chapter 3, Verse 10, Paul gives us two examples of what it means to know Christ in experience, to really know him, to really love him in a way that we passionately experience him. First is that we might know in loving personal experience the power of his resurrection. And secondly, that we might know in loving personal experience the fellowship of his sufferings. Verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3 again, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. First of all, Paul wanted to know and experience Christ in the power of his resurrection. I like the way that uh, Pastor Kent Hughes, who was at Wheaton Bible Church for several years, introduces us to the power of his resurrection. He writes, 2,000 years ago on the first day of the week, Christ's cold body lay on chilled stone in the arms of death. His heart was stilled in the icy grip of the grave. Whatever blood remained was congealed in his veins. His eyes were fixed and dilated, and his body was bound tightly with spices and grave clothes. Then before dawn, his vacant eyes blinked open and coursed with light, focused and glittering life. 
And with the ease of omnipotence, his body left the wrappings of an empty cocoon. Paul yearned for this power in his own life. He went right to the top of the power list. He appealed to the most powerful event in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. The power of his resurrection is God's power. It's God's life-giving power that he deployed in raising Christ from the dead. And it's also the exact same power that God uses to bring about and sustain the new life that every Christian receives from Christ and shares with him. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the power that is at work in each one of us who love Christ. In fact, our conversion to Christ is often referred to as resurrection. When we come to Christ and we are converted, so please turn back to Paul's letter to the Ephesians for a moment. Ephesians is right before Philippians. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. Here in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is explaining what we were before Christ and the remarkable conversion that took place when we came to know Christ. Verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians chapter 2, Before you came to know Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them too, we too, all of us, formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. Before we came to Christ, we were all condemned to sin, sinfulness. And because you could do nothing else, you walked according to the prince of the power of the air, that is, according to Satan, this world that is dominated by Satan. Your life was characterized by disobedience. That doesn't mean you got everything wrong. <laughs> Once in a while, you can luck out and get something right when you don't know Christ. It doesn't mean that everything you did was sinful, but what it does mean that the course of your life, your general disposition was directed away from God was in rebellion against God. I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to figure this out myself. I can, I can do this. And that's what the Bible says. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. And what can a dead person do about it? Nothing. But when you came to know Christ, Paul says you were resurrected from being dead to your trespasses and sins. In verse 4, I always like it when it starts out, but God. Boy, those are the great turning places in, in, in God's word. We were in a lot of trouble. But God, being rich in mercy because his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. That is resurrection. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead has raised us up and made us alive in Christ. The same creational power when God said, let there be light and there was light is the same power that's effecting an eternal transformation in each one of us. It's nothing less than God's creational power 
to effect such a change in us. Paul put it this way in the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians of verse 6. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Conversion is a resurrection affected by the creational power of God himself. And Paul's yearning here was that the same power that said, let there be light and there was light, the same resurrection power that it be made known more and more to him as he walks in a manner worthy of Christ. And he wants us, he wants his hearers, he wants his readers to know the same power. Paul experienced this power when he was transformed from that uh, self-righteous way of life that he talked about here in the Philippians to become a humble follower of Jesus Christ, hell-bent literally on doing his own thing, going to Damascus, persecuting Christians, and the light of life came and showed himself to him and knocked him to the ground. It's, you know, it's what Paul calls now that same power working in us in the first chapter of Ephesians, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that's working in us who believe. And that's the way Paul lived with this resurrection power. You know, we studied 2 Corinthians quite a bit in chapter 4 where we talked about the clay pots uh, were earthen vessels. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in clay pots, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. For we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And why are all these things coming against us? And why can't they take us out? Why can't they crush us? Why can't it, it forsake us? Because it is the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is in us. It's the very power of God. You know, and whatever is surrounding that power of God, it cannot be crushed. It cannot be destroyed because it's filled with the surpassing power of God's, the surpassing greatness of God's power. You know, so many things have been written about these verses as they apply to us as believers. And I like what Gordon Fee writes. He says, Paul knows nothing of the rather gloomy stoicism that's so often exhibited in historic Christianity where the lot of the believer is basically that of slugging it out in the trenches with little or no sense of Christ's presence and power. On the contrary, the power of Christ's resurrection was the greater reality for him. So certain was Paul that it had happened, after all he had been accosted and claimed by the risen Lord on the Damascus Road, and that Christ's resurrection guaranteed his own that Paul could throw himself into the present with a kind of holy abandon, full of rejoicing and thanksgiving. How do you know that you truly know Christ? Maybe that's an odd question. How do you know that you know? When my son Ben was at Wheaton College majoring in philosophy, part of philosophy and theology is what they call epistemology. How do you know certain things? So Ben would say, Dad, I'm going to take epistemology this semester. I go, well, how do you know? 
How do you know that you know? How do we know that we truly love Christ? And what Paul is telling us here, the initial telltale sign of knowing Christ is the power of the resurrection. It's the joy of new life in Christ. It's the resiliency, it's the buoyancy that comes from spiritual resurrection. It's holy abandonment in serving him. And that's the experience that so many people have when they come to Christ. The sense that a great weight has been lifted from their shoulders. Uh, the lightness that comes to their steps. One person described it, happened to be Kent Hughes, the pastor at Wheaton Bible College. He said when he came to Christ as a young man, it was though he was released from earth's gravity. <laughs> he said that all he wanted to do was know more about Jesus Christ and tell others about Jesus Christ. And all Christians have had this experience in their own way, in one way or another. Resurrection power that begins at conversion and continues to work towards thus those who believe. Keep asking this question, do you want to know him and the power of his resurrection? If you really want that, then you have the right longing. That's the apostolic longing here of the Apostle Paul. It's desire that it, it's, it is a desire that God pleases to fulfill. It's a prayer that God will answer. I want to know you, God, and the power of his resurrection. Secondly, Paul wanted to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. Sufferings. Fellowship. There's that word again. Koinonia. The fellowship. The sharing. The koinonia of his sufferings. How many of us, when we think about fellowship with the church, even give a thought to suffering? That church really has great fellowship. Or let's get together for fellowship. Who would want to join a church that shares in the fellowship of suffering? You know, we've made fellowship way too churchy sometimes because the spiritual reality is this. Suffering is the lot of every true believer. And that is a fact that the Apostle Paul refers to frequently. Luke tells us that when he and Paul returned to the churches of Asia Minor, they were encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul told the Thessalonians, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. Do you happen to remember from our study in Philippians that suffering is a divine gift of God? Back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. You know, it raises the question, why is Pastor Saeed Abedini suffering in that stinking hole in a prison I ran? Why is he getting beat on a regular basis? People have asked me, why would he go to the hospital where he's supposed to get better? They won't do the surgery. They chain him to a hospital bed just about the time he's getting better. They come from the prison. They beat him again and drag him back to prison. Why have Daniel and Eric suffered in Mexico in a prison? And we could go on and on with examples that we hear about from all over the, the world. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer 
for his sake. That word translated granted literally means grace gifted. Grace gifted to them. It's a gift of God, a gift that comes from God to suffer for Christ's sake. Suffering for Christ is a divine gift. It's also a sign of sacred intimacy with Christ. Because the fellowship of Christ's suffering is an amazing thing. It moves us as believers from just being beneficiaries of Christ's suffering on the cross. Christ's suffering on the cross makes us a beneficiary, the grace, the love, the forgiveness that Christ suffered for. Fellowshipping in Christ's sufferings moves us to a, being a sharer in Christ's suffering. It moves the believer from just being a beneficiary of Christ's suffering on the cross to being a sharer in his suffering. Through suffering, we experience something of the love of Christ that he displayed on the cross. We discover it in a whole new way. It's a whole new experience of actually experiencing something of what Jesus experienced on the cross. You know, and there's a breathtaking beauty here that Paul is going to get here, get to, namely, that the more a believer comes to be more and more like Jesus Christ, the more that believer will suffer. The more we come to be like Christ, the more we're going to suffer. Simply put, the fellowship of Christ's suffering is the fellowship of those elevated souls who are growing in their intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ because they are experiencing the cross of Christ in a whole new dimension of suffering. You know, it's one thing that when we talk about the cross, and some, particularly around Easter time, will go into great detail about how painful the crucifixion is and talk about this and that of the crucifixion, great detail about the details of the crucifixion. It's a whole other thing to experience just some of the pain, just some of the suffering of what Christ experienced on the cross, to feel something painful in the same way that Jesus felt it on the cross when he suffered for our behalf. Not only to know the power of his resurrection, but to know the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, I think about that, you know, when Paul says how many times he was whipped, 39 times with the whip of cords. It was 39 times because 40 was a death penalty. And they wanted to stop just short. They wanted the suffering to be as horrible as it could without death. When Paul felt every whip of the cord, he knew something of Christ that I don't know because I've never felt the whip of the cord. When somebody attacks you and they're antagonistic towards you and they make fun of you and they call you all kinds of names and insult you because you are a Christian, then you know something of Jesus Christ and his experience and his fellowship that you didn't know before. Paul says, I don't only want to know the power of his resurrection, but I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. It is fellowship of continual resurrection and continual display of God's power. It's the fellowship of ascent as we become more and more like Christ. We are called with Paul to invite upon ourselves the sufferings of Christ. You go, what? 
Why would we want to invite the sufferings of Christ upon ourselves? Because I don't have the courage to do that. I don't have the tenerity to do such a thing. You know, I, I, I just can't go through that kind of suffering. Who's able to bear it? And the answer is no one. No one is able to bear it. But we must remember that the desire to fellowship in Christ's suffering is coupled with the desire to know the power of his resurrection. You can't separate these two, even though we do it in an outline and separate them. You can't separate the two, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings is really talking about the same thing. Paul's expression, the power of his resurrection, precedes the power of his sufferings because the power of Christ's resurrection first provides the strength provides the motivation for suffering. No man or woman of Christ can embrace the fellowship of Christ's suffering who, first of all, does not know the power of his resurrection. You know, if you've come to know the power of his resurrection, if you've been raised from the dead from your trespasses and sins, when you were saved, with, when you were converted, if you're experiencing the ongoing resurrection of new life in Jesus Christ, whatever suffering God allows you to go through and whatever he does in your life so that you might know something, the sufferings of Christ, then you can bear it with the power of the resurrection. So do you and I want to really truly know Christ? Then we must make Paul's longing our own. We must pray, Lord, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And when that is the sincere longing of our hearts, we become more and more like Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3 again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Now Paul uses the, the grammar and language here that shows a continuing process. The process of being conformed to his death. It's a present passive participle. Being conformed, continually being conformed. Why Paul, whereby Paul is being more and more conformed to Christ's death by the transforming activity of the Holy Spirit. And, and Paul sees here the process of a cycle of dying and rising with Christ. And it, this is found throughout Paul's letters. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20. Colossians 3.3. 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Romans 6.8. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall live with him. As Paul experiences the power of the resurrection and the strengthening to participate in Christ's suffering... He is being conformed to his death. You know, Paul's language indicates a series of, a process here. I guess you could put it this way, where he's taking his personal crosses and each particular cross that he picks up in his life produces a series of resurrections. I die to Christ in what I am doing, in the suffering, and then I am raised again. And in that, Paul is coming to an ever deeper understanding in his personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. Every time Paul had to take up a cross or the next cross, 
He experienced the sufferings of Christ. He gained an even greater love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he became more and more like Jesus Christ in the process. You know, we like it, Lord, just give me one cross. I, I can bear it. <laughs> you know, and the Lord said, I'm going to give you a series of crosses in your life. And as you pick up each one of those crosses and experience the suffering and know the power of the resurrection, you're going to become more and more like Christ. Because Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know, I can't answer all the whys and purposes of God of why he would allow one of his own to suffer in an Iranian prison. But I do know this, that Pastor Saeed Abedini knows something of Christ and knows it intimately and knows him in a personal way that I don't. There's something of Christ that he knows experientially that I don't because I have not shared the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ in that particular way. And in some measure, Pastor Saeed is more like Christ than those who have not shared the sufferings of Christ in the same way. And Paul says in verse 11, Philippians chapter 3, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I think most of the translations say somehow that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. When we use the word somehow, we tend to think that, I, you know, was Paul concerned about he may not somehow obtain the resurrection from the dead? And of course he wasn't. He knew his resurrection to glory is secured in Christ. Literally it says, if somehow I might obtain resurrection from the dead, if somehow in some way I might obtain resurrection... When I was a kid and we were just talking amongst ourselves and stuff, we often used a phrase, anyhow. Anybody remember that? You know, we'd be talking a lot. Anyhow, I think I'm going to the store now. Or anyhow, mom may do this. Anyhow, we might get to go see the fireworks. Anyhow would work here. Anyhow, by whatever means possible, I might attain the resurrection to the dead. What Paul is saying that his resurrection from the dead in glory is going to be certain but he doesn't know the anyhows. He doesn't know how God is going to get him there. He doesn't know what purposes, what crosses he's going to have to bear to get there. He doesn't know the intervening events and circumstances as to timing and extent, what crosses he would bear and what ways he would share the sufferings of Christ. Anyhow, one day he's going to be raised with Christ. Paul didn't know whether he was going to be released from prison the next week or whether he was going to suffer a cruel death by the sword of Caesar in the next few hours. He didn't know what sufferings lay ahead. Anyhow, his prayer was to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, that anyhow, he would be conformed to his death. You know... To use a phrase that's common today, I think we've supplanted anyhow with you know. You know, there's no doubt that if any of us knew today would be the last day of our lives, if we knew that we just had a short time to live, you know what I mean? <laughs> we would wish that like Paul, that we had made Christ the passion of our lives. 
we would wish that we'd make Christ the passion of our lives. But as it is, there is a time right now to pray for that. To pray that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, any house, I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Have you ever prayed like that? You know, we make a big deal about the sinner's prayer, that initial prayer where somebody prays for forgiveness of their sins and receive Christ, and that's often called the sinner's prayer. I think what Paul is giving us here is the believer's prayer. What do we pray after we pray the sinner's prayer? We pray the believer's prayer, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Can we pray that? Let's pray. Father, in the moments of this quietness and coming to the, the end of our time of worship and fellowship together this morning, Lord, I just pray that each one of us could put other things aside right now and not think about so much the person sitting next to us, not think about so much about whether we're going to get home in time to, to watch the soccer game or whatever it is that we want to do on a Sunday afternoon, but, Father, to focus and direct our thoughts. Just each one of us, you and me, Lord, you and me, each one of us just putting our thoughts upon you, Lord, and saying to you, God, oh, Lord, I want to know you. And I want to know the power of Christ's resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Father, that I might become like Jesus Christ in his death. And whatever the anyhows are, that you will one day bring me into resurrection glory. And Father, because of the anyhows, I will be more and more like Jesus Christ. Father, do that in my life. Make that the yearning, my heart's cry. And I ask it in Jesus' name.